to thank everybody for joining us today. Thank you for being here. This is Stolen Lunch's Bible Study, and we thank you for calling in. And um, we're just so excited to be here today. I think today is going to be one of the most impactful uh, Bible studies that uh, we've had thus far because today we just want to do an open round discussion. And I know there's a lot of people on the line already. Thank you for joining us. But I kind of wanted to go around the room so everybody can kind of quickly introduce themselves. We'll start right here. Uh, John Doss. Tony Proctor. Derek Anderson. Harold Sublet. Dennis Wilson. Colleen Guyton. Timothy Nurse. And my name is Derek Jacobs. I go by Fly Tide. So, uh, I wanted everybody to introduce themselves because we're going to have a conversation with each other today. And all of you are men of God. All of you love men. But I know you've been seeing what's going on in our city this past week, and I think it's been a weekend uh, today since our city has been going under this turmoil. And, um, you know, I want to know from a godly perspective what you guys think about it, how we can help heal a broken city. And I think we all have uh, influence in this city. So we kind of want to dive into God's word and see what the word says about it and what are we doing. So I'm going to ask Derek, <laughs> I'm going to put you on the spot at the first word. So uh, <laughs> we're going to grab hands. And uh, I, want, I want him to <laughs> go ahead and lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. Heavenly Father, we come with you with transparency in terms of uh, just some of us being angry, being frustrated, Lord, being conflicted about what's been taking place in our wonderful city, Lord. Well, Heavenly Father, but we know that you sit high and look low, Lord. Heavenly Father, we ask that you be among our leaders, oh, Heavenly Father. Be along the families who have lost, who have um over this, over this loss, though, Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, we ask that you restore peace among our city, Lord. Allow us to have the opportunity to come and to have a conversation and move toward opportunities where strategic alliances can be formed, oh, Heavenly Father, for your name, oh, Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, we just use this as an opportunity, Lord, to not talk about the, the bad things, but, Lord, focus on the good things that can come out of this, Heavenly Father, in terms of mending the senses, oh, Heavenly Father, healing the hearts, Heavenly Father, bringing people across diverse backgrounds and races together, Heavenly Father, and that's for your kingdom, Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, we ask that you just watch over the men that are here today, Lord. Watch over the men that are, are listening uh, by conference call, Lord. Watch over all the men, oh, Heavenly Father, particularly those men of color, Lord. For whatever reason, Lord, there are things out there that are working beyond some people's recognition and, and understanding, oh, Heavenly Father. But, Lord, we know that who you are, Heavenly Father. We know that you are the author and the finisher of everything, Heavenly Father. We ask that you have your hand on this process, Lord. We ask that you have your hand on all men, all you, oh, Heavenly Father, and allow us to work together in solidarity, oh, Heavenly Father, to to work through these complex issues about one another, Heavenly Father, and allow the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us in a place that will lead to a place of harmony, oh, Heavenly Father, a place of peace, oh, Heavenly Father, a place of guidance, Lord. We allow that your word to go forth, Lord, and allow that you continue to manifest yourself among us, Lord, and allow us to be vessels unto the world, oh, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Wow. Go ahead, G. <laughs> Well, um, I want everybody to grab a pen if you don't have a pen. We paid a lot of money for those stolen lunches pens. 
make sure you make use of them if you want to jot down some notes. And I tell you right now, if um, if this conversation goes anything like that prayer, I know it's going to bring about some uh, good works in all of us today. So uh, all of us have been watching the news, and they have kind of set the pace for the narrative of what Charlotte is going through. But I know a lot of you know that that's not our city. You know, we live in a beautiful city. But there are some uh, broken people in this city. There's some hurt people in this city. And I believe we as men of God should stand up. And we need to be the leaders and and do what uh, Jesus said. And that's pretty much spread his love to bring about healing to those who are hurting. So I just kind of want to dive into, you know, a few of these questions. You can jot down some notes. And uh, we're going to pass the mic around today. And just have a discussion. And um, I started out by saying the Bible says that we are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. We're different. We're peculiar people. And it's up to us for us to let the light of Christ shine through us while we go through tragic times. And, um, you know, I did an interview with CNN this past week, and I said a whole lot about, you know, God's response to what's going on. Of course, they didn't print a whole lot of that. <laughs> they wanted the negative stuff, you know, but I, I, I couldn't give them nothing negative because, again, the dramatic and the, the, the hate and the riots and the, uh, a lot of that they want to portray on the news, saying, look at Charlotte, you know, look at these men, and particularly men of color. You know, it was us out there on the front lines protesting. And uh, although... Ninety-nine percent was peaceful, but of course, that one, two, or three percent that was portrayed on the news wasn't quite as positive. One thing that I love to see on this week is that uh, there was a lot of Christians out there. They was out there praying, and they was out there letting their voice be heard. So I just kind of wanted to have a conversation with you brothers today, and we got. Pose some questions down here to get the conversation started, and we're going to pass the mic around. When tragedy strikes, how should we, as the men of God, respond? And what does the Bible say about it? <laughs> well, just, just to get started, I just want to begin by saying that, um, if I can, that a big part of healing, deliverance, restoration, and unity um, has to do with um, everyone being able to have a place where they can really share how they feel. Um, I would respect someone if they said, hey, Pastor Das, um, I'm struggling because I hate somebody from another race. Just bring it out. Let's talk about it. So at least we know where you are and what you're, what you're dealing with. So I think in, in the Christian setting, uh, I know as a pastor I'm afraid to share how I feel on Facebook. I'm afraid to share how I really feel with someone else. And so I'm, I'm kind of stuck. So I'm doing the spiritual thing and the God bless you thing and all that, but I'm really having a hard time. Uh, in our congregation, we, we have a mixed group. We have black, we have white, we have Hispanic. We have some Arab folk, we have some Indian folk. And, uh, and, and so it's just truly, you know, having that place, that safe place mm-hmm. where you can share how you feel. Um, if I understand how healing works, healing cannot begin until the, the, the issue of hurt is identified. So it's like going to the doctor and saying, hey, doc, you know, I, I'm really having some problems or whatever, 
And the doctor says, well, where does it hurt? And you say, well, I'm not telling you. Well, the doctor can't do anything. You know, it doesn't matter what degree he or she has or, or what equipment is in the office. If you cannot identify or help the doctor see what the problem is, they don't know where to begin to bring healing. So that's a big thing. Um, I think that's important even in the church. I've seen some folk who are really spiritual and all the cliches and all that, but if we don't find a place where we can say, hey, here's where I'm hurting, here's where I'm confused, it's a safe place where no one's going to judge you, but they'll take what you're feeling and what you're saying, put that with the word, pray with you, man, you can get delivered and restored in five minutes. You know, you can be on the right track in five minutes or, or one day. Uh, but the thing is just saying having that place. And so I feel there's a lot of pastors that are kind of stuck. I'm speaking as a pastor. We don't want to offend anyone, but I'm a person too. And I might be going through some things, so I might be feeling some things too. And if that's not dealt with, what's going to happen when it comes across the pulpit? What happens when I'm praying for my members and I've got some hurt or bitterness or unforgiveness inside of me? And by the way, I, I kind of don't. Maybe I don't know. I need to be able to share it. But as I pray for people, I believe that spirits and things transfer. So if, I, if I'm angry, if I'm jealous, if I'm proud, and I'm praying for you, man, some of that stuff might rub off on you. So I, I was just kind of starting there. I'll I answer the question real quick. What comes to my heart for number one is the Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And so some of my, uh, my white friends, if I can say it like that, or even white pastors, um, I tell them, I know you personally, I believe you're not racist or prejudiced, but what hurts is the silence. What hurts is when you say nothing and do nothing, because Romans 1 says, if you commit the sin, you're judged for it, but if you sit back and just watch others do it, you might be judged for that too. And, and so um, there's a saying that, that says all that, that all that's needed for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. And so my white friends have told me, Pastor Doss, we don't know what to do. We don't know what to say, so we're just kind of stuck. If we just follow that verse, hey, those who mourn, mourn with those who mourn. Hey, the black community is going through something right now. I can't pretend, pretend to be black. I can't pretend to know what you're going through, but you know what? I'm here for you. I'm here. You know, here's, here's a piece of cake. Here's, can I watch your kids? Hey, let's just go hang out. I'm just calling you on the phone. I don't know what to say, but I'm just letting you know that I'm, I'm not turning a blind eye to what's going on. I'm not getting political with it. I'm not trying to, you know, bring up, you know, uh, legal issues. You're hurting right now. Mourn with those who mourn. Rejoice with those who rejoice. So there's some of us in our community who are mourning, and if you're a Christian, the Bible simply says, mourn with us. Mourn with them. Be there for each other. Just uh, ask you a couple questions about what you said. Number one is, you know, you 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 say you're afraid to share your viewpoint on social media, and I think social media could be used for whatever you use it for. You know, uh, it has given us a platform to reach uh, tens of thousands. You know, um, number one, why are you afraid to do that? And number two is, you said if I go to the doctor. Doctor can't help me if he don't know the issue. Well, looking at the bigger issue in our city, is this racism issue or is it spiritual warfare that we're facing? Because, you know, you're saying that people of color are hurting right now, and I think it is, you know. But if you look as an African-American police chief, an African-American officer, an African-American victim, you know, is it bigger 
than just racism. Is it big? And and I beg to differ that it is. I think it's an issue of authority, you know. Um, and but how does race play a part in that as well? So if you could share that real quickly, and then we'll move. I might need one question at a time because you. What was the the, the first one again? You, you hit me. social media. Right. Right. Okay. Uh, number one, I found in the past that you can post something on social media and mean one thing, but then somebody will twist it or somebody will make an argument out of it. And then you, as a pastor, you can't even joke on social media. You can't even, so you just want to be very careful not to offend people. Uh, but then the other thing that I think uh, is very sad is we're in a community where, let's say I feel something, I should be able to say that, whether it's on social, social media or in, in a certain platform or a certain place. And if I say how I feel, I could be corrected. I'm open to correction. Even though I'm a pastor, somebody might say, hey, Pastor Doss, the word says this, or you shouldn't have said it like that. And then I might say, you know what, you're right, I apologize. But social media won't find that part, like you said. You know, CNN picked out what they wanted. They'll just go back to what you were yesterday. They'll go back to what you said out of your hurt. And they won't say, man, he was hurting, so we're going to give him an excuse pass. He's okay now. And so it's just one of the, there's a lot I would like to say because I believe that people need to hear certain things. So I'm just saying that's one of my struggles right now, that I have a platform, and, and it's difficult for me to even know how to use that platform because I don't want to offend others or, or have people think what I'm saying is misunderstood. Uh, now, the other thing you were saying about the, uh, the bigger picture, the smaller picture, um, I, I really believe that it's a mixture of things. Number one, spiritual warfare is real. It's absolutely real. And we see certain things happen in our community. According to Scripture, it's going to tie right back to the pastors and to the Christians. Not because we did something uh, uh, wrong in that particular area, but because we were probably slacking when it comes to prayer. We were slacking when it comes to forgiving each other. We were slacking when it comes to evangelizing and reaching out. So now that there's a big problem, everybody wants to march on the street, everybody wants to go to the neighborhood, but that's what we should have been doing anyway the whole time. So I totally believe in the spiritual warfare aspect. But on the natural side, uh, when the church hasn't done what it's supposed to do, the law still has to kick in at some point. And so the, the law becomes tainted if there is racism, if there is bias. And I believe those things come from, number one, misunderstandings, miscommunication. They come from the lives of the enemy, uh, and they come from uh, uh, people not having a friend. And, I, and I'll probably stop with this point. But if, if, if you're a black person and you have a white friend, it helps. If you're a white person and you have a black friend, it helps. Because even though you want to be stereotypical, you can't because you know someone who's white who doesn't hate black people. Or you know someone who's black who's not gangbanging. And, and the reality is the more that I do ministry, I'm finding more and more people on both sides who, don't, who simply don't have a friend. They simply don't know someone from another culture at all. So all the lies or all the biases or all the stereotypes, that becomes their core truth because they have nothing else to balance it with. Anybody else want to touch on that? Um, so I go to Forest Hill, which is predominantly white. David Chadwick's uh, our pastor. and they, um, They've been talking since last week. Um, this Sunday they, they kind of, the, the sermon this weekend was about, you know, 400 years of racist policies, institutional racism. Um, so they held an event last night at church, and about 600 people showed up, mostly, you know, for still old, white, 
um, folks, and they had like tables like this kind of broken up around the room. And so um, we were sitting beside this old white couple. Uh, they're probably in their 70s. They grew up in Alabama, um, lived through integration, um, and they were kind of giving their side. Um, and they, they were, what they were describing was that they, they didn't really understand where all this is coming from. Like this is all um, kind of new to them. And the, the first point they made, which kind of caught me off guard, was um, don't you see how much progress black people have made? I mean, you sh black people should be kind of happy with all the progress we've made. You know, we have, we have a black president and, you know, we're, you know, black people are in positions of, of authority um, throughout the country. Um, and it just, it caught me off guard. I mean, there's such a disconnect. Um, and it was interesting for me to hear that because I didn't know people think like that, that, you know, in 2016, you can still look around and think that, hey, y'all should, should be happy that y'all can vote and y'all can go to school where you want and y'all can work wherever you want. Um, but, it, you know, there's, I think there's, I think it goes to the heart. And I think, like you said, if these folks don't, you know, they've never been to a black household or, you know, their kids don't have any black friends, um, that that's a problem. And so um, throughout the conversation, my challenge to them was, say, you know, you, you have kids, you have grandkids. I mean, do they, do they have black kids in their school? Do they, have, do they have black friends? Do you know their black friends if they do have black friends? If they don't have black friends, and when you come to us and ask, what can we do, that's something that you can do. You know, have them, you know, have a conversation at least. Hey, why don't you have black friends? I mean, how do you treat the black kids who are at your school? I mean, do you, what, what's kind of the dynamic going on there? I think for a lot of people, I've had a lot of conversations. I know, Tim, you've had conversations this week about with, with white people you might work with. I mean, the question is always, hey, what can we do? And, yeah, I think we need to have some kind of response um, for things that you can do, whether it's with your kids or in the workplace, um, just to kind of reach out and, you know, form a friendship or for, form some type of bond with someone from a different culture. So, yeah. And, and the good thing about this is I think we can it's, – it's all about their perspective, knowing where they're coming from. Why do you feel this way? Like, like get their thoughts, and we can – when we talk about being men and women of Christ, I like to use this platform as leverage because I feel like that's our way in because we're all coming together because we all have one common goal, and that's to save souls, right? So when these other issues do come up, we can now address them. Hey, I feel this way, or why do you feel this way? So it's kind of getting that perspective, and then we kind of go back and forth because we're all coming together as one. So even when these race issues come up or any other issues, because we call ourselves women and, and men of God, I feel like we can use this platform to, to leverage ourselves to kind of to, to get it out there even more because we're, we're working together as one. So, um, Just wanted to get, I mean, I still have a hard time when um, you know, I've, I've, I've had coworkers come up to me and ask, you know, what can I do? You know, I'm white. I don't really understand what's going on just just to get people's thoughts on you know what do we say in that instance I know um I had that same conversation I have the privilege of cutting my pastor's hair and he preached about it on Sunday you know he's a white pastor and, 
you know, he preaches to over 40,000 people. He said something very profound. He said, I think black people just want to know that you understand the way I feel, you know. We, I just want you to know that you understand. I want you to look at, at life or what's going on through my eyes and help me to see it through yours because that's where the conversations begin, you know. Um, what has the conversation, and I'm going to kind of jump around these questions, so there's no particular format. What has the conversation sound like this week with other people? Have they been different with your black friends than with your white friends? And, and, and what are their thoughts? And how have you shared your thoughts? So I'm a, so this is Timothy Nurse. So for the whole issue with uh, the cops uh, shooting, um, shooting first, ask questions later kind of thing, it's home personally. Uh, from where I grew up, I grew up in a really uh, kind of rough neighborhood. Everybody kind of grew up in a rough neighborhood, but I got probably handcuffed and put on the floor. What times I could think of, just because I looked like somebody else. They just have braids and all that stuff. But um, but uh, but uh, I've had situations where you know my head put on the floor. Get down from the floor. Is that him? Oh, that's not him. And they keep them, that happens very frequently. It used to happen very frequently in my neighborhood. Uh, Brownsville, Brownsville area of Brooklyn. Uh, was um. Uh, it was uh, one of the highest areas of uh, rob- armed robberies for like a long period of time in like late nineties. But uh, but anyway, uh, uh, fast forward uh, now the issue is still happening. Same situation, so it hits home. I get upset quickly, almost it's almost instantaneously. I don't want to read the Bible. I don't want to pray. If you had spoke to me on Wednesday, I did not care to even talk about the issue. I was ready to do something very crazy because that it hits that it hits that close to home because it happened to me so many times, time and time again. And I don't think it's a, I mean, obviously it's a race issue, but I'm not, I don't think it's a racial, like, white versus black. I think it's like just, you know, police are scared because they're intimidated of black people, and it, and it can't tell the difference. Well, I think that, oh, this is a systematic issue. It's something that's come from racism over years. It's just, it's, just, it's, 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 it's ingrained in the system of society, and it's so, from so many different directions um, that causes what, what happens today. So I'm a personal victim from police, whatever it's called, um, authority, you know, authoritative people or whatever. Um, and then, uh, so it's deeply rooted. But your question about the conversation, so it happened Tuesdays when the issue happened. Wednesdays, I couldn't go to work, so I didn't go to work on Wednesday. Um, ended up going out to eat with with you guys. And while I was still kind of in it, I couldn't really think straight or whatever. Uh, Thursday, I go hang and work out with a guy named Mark, my guy. We work out all the time. We work out together for years, right? We work out together more than for years. And uh, I was I was even scared to even go to the gym because I don't want nobody to act like nothing happened. That would make me even more upset, you know? So uh, so I, after working out crazy, I actually talked talk to Mark afterwards, and he brought it up. So he saw it all over my face. said, hey, man, are, are you okay? How's everything going? And uh, I said, man, I'm just, I'm just trying to make it through right now. And, uh, and he said, he said, he says, he says, he says, it's hard for me because I don't understand what to do. He says, I don't understand what to do. And Mark is a really good dude. Like, if you have a younger guy, um, really good guy. And uh, so I said, and I, he just told me his, his viewpoint. He says, I see things are wrong. He says, he says, I don't like how it, it, it looks. It's just, um, it's, I have a lot of black friends. He says, I'm on social media, and now because I have a lot of black friends, he plays basketball. Um, he has a lot of black friends he plays with. He sees it on his feed, so he he never saw it before. So now I'm seeing it on my feed, and I'm seeing the, just a different perspective, just on his feed, just 
naturally, because I never thought this way before, and now that I'm seeing it more now, it's more in my face, um, I feel like I have to do something. What should I do? And I said, honestly, you having this conversation has helped me. Like, he even know. Like, he's, he came to me for a question, but I, was, I had, like, all this anger on my chest. And uh, we talked for maybe 10 minutes. It, was, it wasn't that long conversation. But just, just talking to him, hearing him say, like, he, you know, he felt like um, he, he wanted to do something. He wanted to know my perspective. I kind of told him my perspective. I told him that uh, I have a lot of anger when it comes to police brutality, just period. Um, no matter if it's white, black, in that scenario, like any scenario, right? But now it hits home even more home because it is black men. Um, uh, so that's my perspective. But I think just having the conversations, what you could tell somebody, like just have a conversation about it. So I've been, on purposely now, I've been having conversations at work. I kind of said this a little earlier with like executives. Like I said with them one on one, and we'll have our one on one touch base where we talk about work I'm doing, work they're doing, 30 minutes conversation, kind of like a status quo thing at the, at the bank. But now I just bring it up. So what do you think about what's going on in Charlotte? You know, what's your perspective? And I just want to just hear their perspective based on kind of what you said earlier, right? Hear other people's perspective because it helps. Having the dialogue helps. So another thing the pastor talked about was no matter what they say, hear what they got to say, right? So just, just listen. Like, like I'm not going to jump and bash you for what you say. Uh, from the conversation I've had, there has been some interesting perspectives that could be debatable. But I don't debate. So one guy talks about, you know, not giving the cops guns, giving them tasers, right? But that doesn't really hit the root issue, right? They kind of just, it's like kind of like you have more people getting tased without, without, <laughs> you know, it's like putting the bandit on a real issue. But I didn't want to combat one. I said, well, so what you mean? And he was in the Army, went to Vietnam, and so he had like a whole other perspective about guns and using guns and stuff like that. So that was my uh my perspective as far as the conversation and dialogue I've had up to this point, but this issue is very, very deeply rooted for me personally. I'm trying to get over it. I talked to Diamond about it and my wife, and it's just a tough conversation. Me and Harold had a deep conversation. Harold was like, are you ready to die for this? And I, and I was like, I'm, <laughs> I'm almost, almost. Like, is, is, that, is that close? Uh, because it's just not, it's not right, and when it happens, it's not cool. Like, when somebody puts your head on concrete and yells at you in your ear, for no reason whatsoever, right? I don't know if everybody been anybody been to that, but it's just not. It's just not. It's not. It's not, a, not. Not a good scenario. So, Tony, I want to get your thoughts. You know, being a Christian, how do you handle it? You know, and how should we as men of God handle what is going on in our city? And how can we better represent Christ when crisis is going on? Man, that sounds good. I'm gonna write that down. <laughs> Wow, boy, that'll preach right there. Let me put that in my notes. Um, well, I think just the the piece that you have up here about us being the light of the world, salt of the earth, um, we have to stand out. And, you know, we've seen it this week, and, and, I, and I will give some credit to some of the media sources that would say, hey, this thing started out very peaceful from 5 p.m. up through 10. And then there seemed to be a turn. Now, unfortunately, they don't show any video of the peaceful and the praying. So they say, hey, it's been peaceful. But now check this out. And they give the footage of the looting. Like, wait, give us the footage of the praying, the, the peaceful, the folks that's actually standing out. And so, you know, it's, it's very difficult. Um, you know, we as men, we have to set the standard. 
And so, you know, I, I can appreciate a uh, public defender saying, hey, I don't want any more clients. Like, for him to go out there and say, hey, I am a professional, and I've been on this side and I've been on that side. And so, look, I'm talking to you guys as protesters. Stop. I'm talking to you guys as the protectors, the authority. Stop. Because it's, it's getting ugly, and it's getting ugly very quickly. Um, and so stuff like that, to stand out and say, hey, I see both sides of the table, but what do we do to meet in the middle? There was another guy that was out there doing the free hugs, and people were like, are you stupid? For someone to go out and, and give love, I mean, that's what we're supposed to do. We, we need to give love. And from a pastor's standpoint, if, if someone is, is hurting, do we hurt with them? We can, we, can we feel it? Maybe we cannot feel it, but we can at least say, you know what, you're hurting and I'm here for you, or you're having a great day. You, you had a very awesome opportunity. I'm feeling for you. And, and so, you know, we have to be out there and, and understand what's going on and, and be in the forefront. It's, it's very difficult when you see another man, whether black, white, Asian, whatever it may be, say, you know what, I don't really have a dog in the fight, so I don't, I don't really care. Wait, but you should care. I mean, if you're a dad, and you have a son, like, you, you need to be that standard and say, hey, son, let me show you how we should handle this situation. If you don't have a biological son, you have someone that, that watches you. Be there to say, hey, look, young man or even young lady, this is a situation. This is a time of need in our community. And I want to show you how to handle it so that now while you're 9 or 10, when you become an adult and you're 23, 30, or whatever it may be, that you remember at some point someone showed you, hey, this is how you handle a crisis. And I think that that's what we need to do. We need to get out there and show society how do we handle this crisis in a positive and godlike way. Love, that's the big thing. We got to show love. We got to show love to the men of color. We got to show love to our fairest skinned friends. We got to show love to our, and we got to show love to everyone. Right, wrong, and indifferent, love is going to get us through this. Does it hurt? Tim, I mean, there's a lot of folks that, I mean, I've seen so many suspects. I've been on an all-white campus, great suspect. And I, at the time, I was dating a fair-skinned lady. But so I'm there, and everybody knows me. But the posting in all the dorm rooms, blackmail, 61190. Me. So here I am, going to go see my lady at the time, and I'm a suspect in a rape crime on campus. And the guards were like, we know it's not you. But we have to kind of still look like, well, is it? And so that's a challenge because the same man who's protecting me from getting beat up by all the other folks on campus is the same one that's looking at me like, well, could it be? But he showed me love. And so, you know, that was in my undergrad days. And every time something happens, I think about, well, man, there was a Caucasian cop who said, hey, man, I'm 99.9% sure that this is not you. But he did not take action. He actually loved me through that situation to say, hey, man, be careful. Like, I can't protect you outside of my realm. But be careful and know that these situations are out there. So, again, for him to say, hey, he can't say I know how it feels to be the black suspect on the paper, but he could say, 
I understand that it's a challenging time for you. And if there's anything I can do for you, let me know. Love. That's what we're here to do. As Christians, we're supposed to show love. And so I think, men of God, we got to show love. Does it hurt? Yeah, it's going to hurt. I mean, the situation hurts, and sometimes you've you got to show love even when you're hurt. And that's a challenge. But we got to do it to get through this. We got to get through. We can't get stuck. Because if we get stuck, we're going to continue doing the same thing over and over and over and over. And where do we get? We get nowhere. So I think we've got to show love. I think we've got to show love. Well, real quick, from a, um, just from a pastoral standpoint, a couple of things I want to kind of um, you know, throw in the hat. Um, I'm, I'm new to the Charlotte area. I've been here for about two years, and my wife and I were, were pastoring in Hampton, Virginia, for 12 and the Lord said, leave everything by faith, move to Charlotte, and, and start a new ministry. So when, when I got here, um, there was a lot of stuff going on in the country, and particularly here in Charlotte, and, and the name slips me, but the, the young man who was, who was shot several times, who was in the accident, what's the name again? It's Johnson. There's just so many of them. I, the, the name is just so many. So when I came in, that had just happened, and, and we were kind of going into the summer, after that where everything was going to court and, and Baltimore was doing their thing. And so there was a, there, there was word on the street that there was going to be burning in Charlotte. And, and uh, we even got insider um, information that some of the, the national newscasters were already renting out um, hotel rooms that were facing the city streets so they could get all the burning and the shooting and, and the, the rioting. And what I saw was pastors began to come together. So I'm a new pastor. I'm getting calls from black pastors, white pastors, Hispanic pastors. We got to get together. We got to pray. We have to unify. You know, you know, Charlotte has been so divided amongst the pastors. And I'm a new guy, so I'm just hearing all this. So I jump in. Man, we had all these prayers, and we had a, a big prayer event uh, where so many people came together. And uh, in, in, in I forgot the name of the building, but they're in Uptown, and white and black were coming together. But as soon as the verdict came and there was peace. Them jokers stopped calling me for prayer. As far as I'm concerned, they were done. It, it, this is my judgment. You know, I'm judging the matter. But there was not a sincere, long-lasting desire for unity and coming together. It was just because of what might have happened. And once we got past that, it was like, man, Charlotte is, is in, 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 I can't think of the word, impenetrable. That means nothing can happen. We're good. No more calls for prayer, y'all. Pastors not getting together like they were. All of a sudden, this happens. I'm getting calls again. So we're talking about the spiritual warfare aspect. God's like, look, if y'all just maintain unity and harmony amongst yourselves, that's the best protection. Why does it take something like this? And so I'm speaking now as a pastor. Now, I will say some of the churches have got it right. I can't tell you what percentage, but most of the churches are still totally white, totally black, there's no communication, no connection. So I've started a movement called the zebra movement. And, and here's what the Lord showed me. If an animal can have two colors and not be divided amongst itself, then people from different colors, we can come together at least in unity and harmony. So the vision is for a black pastor to find a white pastor, build a relationship, and then from time to time their congregations come together to fellowship or do something. doesn't mean we have to close our churches and force 
the churches to all be mixed. Because some folk want to be quiet on Sunday, some want to shout dance so that we come out. But at least we can we can come together from time to time. So the zebra movement is for predominantly black churches, predominantly white churches to come together, fellowship on purpose. So if and when these issues yes. happen, like we're all saying here, you you had a a good white cop, you've got a good white friend. It helps to diffuse the bomb when we at least have some sort of relationship with someone from a different culture. They say that Sundays at 11 a.m. is the most segregated time in America. Really? I think that we could do something about that, but this brother got a page full of notes over here. I can't wait. <laughs> I couldn't wait to the mic get to you. Come on. Um, I wrote my notes down so I can be brief. <laughs> But I, I want to say, first of all, um, we have to also acknowledge the great things that our police department has done and continue to do. Uh, I think uh, I've worked closely with a lot of police officers. There are great police officers, white, black, whatever. Um, but I don't think that they get they just do because of the great things they do. We only hear about the bad things that happen. We don't hear about the good things. And I bear witness to the good things that they do day in and day out as I serve with them, and I appreciate all that they do. I have a brother who's a police officer. I've had the opportunity to do a ride-along with him. He's not in this city. I see what they experience firsthand. I understand the emotion, adrenaline, how things change split second. I see that. So it shows me a different perspective. But one of the things I want to just kind of real briefly talk about as I listen to this powerful discussion and as we begin yeah. to understand and kind of dialogue and talk through why these things are existing. And I say I don't think as a country, as a community, we ask the right questions of why. Um, I'm going to go back to the scripture, Proverbs 12:22. It says, Lion lips are the abomination to the Lord, but they that deal truly are his delight. We have to start with the foundation of this country to understand that in the United States we have a dark history that we don't talk about. And until we begin to talk about the truth, the real truth, we will not be able to get to the root cause of this issue. If we go back and look at, we talk about this notion of racism. What is racism? What is the history of racism? And there's a lot of facts and truth and information out there that speaks to a chronological uh, history about how we got to this situation. So we should not be surprised, right, yeah. even though some people are. The other thing we talk about, what is racism? And, and we talk about this whole notion of race and how did it come about. And when we talk about race, uh, genetics research that 99% uh, we're all biologically alike. And race is a social construct that was put in place by whites, by whites to, uh, to put a system in place of advantage a group uh, to advantage one group of people over another. And so you had a system of race put in place by whites to demonstrate a system of advantage of people, of oppressed people, people of color. But then we talk about who created our system. We talked about the 400 years of slavery. That's one thing we can agree on, right? But then who created our systems, the education system, criminal justice system, business, health, banking system, sports system, who did it? White who? White men, right? The other thing we don't do, we don't, we don't mark. We mark. We, white culture goes unmarked, but we mark everything that's other than white. We have Black History Month. Why we don't talk about White History Month, right? But we have to mark Hispanic History Month. 
And so when we go, when the white culture goes unmarked, it goes invisible. Racism is the glue that holds all the other isms together. When we talk about the dark history, who writes the narrative in our history books? Who are the ones that are in control and power? Well, when we talk about the history and foundation of this country, there were Indians here, there were Mexicans here, but then all of a sudden somebody found the United States. But how did that land transfer from the Indians to whites? Was it legal? Were there protests? Were there riots? Were it violent? Who created that violence? Was it people of color? Right? And so we have to start with understanding the real truth. And whites have to acknowledge their role in all of this, not saying that those today participated in it, but first you have to acknowledge it. And there are still a lot of white people and black people, for whatever reason, won't acknowledge what has happened and taken place. The other thing we talk about systems, because racism is embedded in, the, in our social in, uh, uh, institutions, which also creates a system of oppression for people of color. But we go back, who created our systems, right? White men. They wrote the rules, they wrote the laws, they wrote the policies. And so when we look at in our system, the education system, criminal justice and business, health, why is it that in all these systems in 2016, black men still fare worse in those systems than any other systems when we even 12% of the population, right? Well, we look at all our systems. Why is that? Nobody wants to understand that. When we talk about generational poverty, Dr. Ruby Payne wrote a book called Bridges Out of Poverty. One of the things that she mentioned in that book is that the middle class system, our education system built on middle class values. But if you have generational poverty, if you don't have access, or if you don't have exposure to middle class value system, then now for us who have middle class value system, now we expose our will on others to pass judgment. We don't talk about implicit bias. And in short, implicit bias is our, is our unconscious judgment that we have for people. And all people have implicit bias whether we choose to believe it or not, white, black, whoever. But it's our implicit bias that continues to perpetuate the cycles that we have in patterns we have in our community. For example, if you say, well, we still have black people who are leading great institutions and doing a lot of great work, right? But why are the system, well, why do we still have black males still have bad outcomes? Because it's not about the person that's leading the system. It's about a system that's put in place that we've been coached, we've been trained and conditioned to perpetuate those negative outcomes. So the question really is, what is the value of black men's lives, men of color lives, versus that of white men? Until we begin to understand what that value is, until we begin to acknowledge and accept what that value is, and how we begin to address it, and not just looking at the bigotry or this person the racist, we can easily point those out because they're very explicit. But sometimes we all have been corporate in this system that we're doing, and our hiring practice. And there was a research that came out um, by a business college in Chicago and also to Harvard. It talked about, um, it was a research done. It was over 5,000 applicants sent out with white-sounding names and black-sounding names of both men and women. And of the 1,300 respondents, what they realized was that still white, the resume was the white-sounding names, got called back two times more to black-sounding names. The research further indicated that when you look at quality of resumes, even though you have black men or black women who have more qualified resumes than whites, whites still got called back twice as more. So it's embedded within our systems. And so when we talk about hiring practice and upper mobility, 
we've been told you go to school, you get a grade, you get college, you pull yourself up by the bootstrap, but there's still another system in place that we have no control over because we've done as black men all we needed to do, right? But when we look in those systems, they're still there. And I'm going to pass it back over. But one of the things we talk about, and we have to point out patterns throughout history about what's happening, what's taking place, I think as an opportunity to show white people where these patterns exist. And when we talk about sports, the biggest thing is about Colin Kaepernick, right? Even with Colin Kaepernick, he had a, what, a non, he had a, a silent protest, would you agree? It wasn't violent. So no matter if we're silent or if we're violent, there's always going to be an excuse about what we do, right, and how we do it. But let's talk about that system. Why in the system, let's just say the NFL, you have, let's just say we can probably agree there over 80% African Americans play in the league, right? Let's ask the question, why is it 100% black ownership? Why is it, excuse me, 100% white ownership? Why are there black owners? Why are there not more black head coaches in the NFL, which has a majority league of minorities? And so we started looking at institutions and breaking it down, it, it shows a clear pattern, a clear picture. What is the history of Wall Street, right? What is the history of Brooklyn here in our own town? And what is the history of when we talk about black Wall Street and, and Tulsa, Oklahoma, or Wall Street in New York? Understanding the history and how these institutions started will help us to, one, begin to understand why we're in the situation that we're in today. And we have to stop blaming people of color and victimizing them for these things. We're, we're blaming and we victimize the people of color because they have been put in situations that they had no control over generations and generations ago. And we can't program our way out of this. We always want to throw a program to black people. What are the programs for white people, right? What are programs for those? And so we can't continue to program people of color, giving them a mentor, give them this, give them that, right? But what are we doing for the whites? Because the white is the unmarked culture that we compare ourselves to. And if there's anything that's not white, what is not right, right? That's what it's really about. And so until we start talking about those things in the truth and in our churches, I'm pretty sure in our churches a lot of us read some of the same Bible, see the same messages, the same words. Would you agree? But we have a different interpretation of it. Why is that? Because through socialization, based on our background, our experiences, our family dynamics, our culture, our raising, but also what messages have we been receiving? that have shaped and influenced how we see the world and how we see life, right? What have you been told in your home? What have you been exposed to? And so even with our churches, we can look at even black pastors or white pastors. You can get on the same scripture that come up with a different message, right, based on perspectives. But it's not until we begin to start with the history of how our country came and begin to talk about what is our shared responsibility to move forward, right? And we can't blame it all on white folks. In our communities, we have black-on-black crime, right? That's another issue we have to attack. We have other things that we have to tackle. We can't continue to point fingers and blame if we're not going to be part of the process, part of the solution in terms of how we move forward. But I think ultimately to move this thing forward, we have to have the power, the influence, those who set policy and rules at the table that's genuine, that's willing to step out overtly and exercise courageous leadership and say this is wrong and how we're going to change it. And here in Charlotte, we have to begin to move forward. And we can't have the same usual suspects at the table trying to craft an agenda for a very broad community. They have diverse perspectives, right? We have to widen that table. And then the question is, who sets the table? And a lot of times you have the power structure that sets the table in terms of what happens to determine the agenda about how we move forward. 
And so once you have a group of people that has a sense of hopeless, been locked out of education system, been targeted by a criminal justice system, can't succeed in, in, in the employment system, what happens? They get hopeless, right? But they still have families to feed. They still want to survive. So they resort to the things that they do. Understand who were the original gangs. The original gangs were not black people. Who were they? Right? They were white. But the country, what they did was created opportunities for those whites to now make them a part of the majority of society, right? They gave them something. And that's what this country has to continue to do to give white advantage over people of color. And I'm going to stop there. That was powerful, brother. Powerful, powerful. Well, I know a lot of you got to go to work. We usually wrap it up around 9 o'clock. I knew that this was going to happen. It's not enough time. So I empower and I encourage all of you to keep the conversation going. Keep the conversation going from a godly perspective, from a Christ-centered perspective, and ask yourself the question, am I doing the right thing? Am I representing what Jesus would represent? Because we are the hands. We are the feet of Jesus. We are the heart of Jesus. So I want to bring this thing to a close by hearing from one more person who comes to serve every stolen lunches. He has, I don't think Tim and, and uh, this brother right here has missed one. And we said a lot from men of color perspective, but I want to hear from his perspective. You know, he's one of our fair-skinned brothers, but in the end, he is our brother. And I just want to hear from his perspective on how we could bring about healing, what are his thoughts, and any closing remarks that he may have, you know, just about, you know, keeping this conversation going, all right? You know where I'm going. <laughs> I'm giving the mic to Joe. Um, yeah, it's been a crazy week. I work in the media. Um, I was directing the shows last week when we saw everything happening and um, just seeing, you know, the, you can hear it all through your through the headset. You can see it all the visuals, and uh, it was just a heavy week. Uh, I think for all people in Charlotte, and uh, I think this is a. I'm seeing more people, more white people today, talking about what's going on than I've ever had, um, and I think it's a great opportunity, and it's also been kind of very hard and frustrating for me because you're starting to see, I think, a split among a lot of people, a lot of friendships, a lot of Christians, uh, I think there's a big, you know, like you said, implicit bias among a lot of, a lot of white people. Uh, they don't see, you know, color because they don't have to. Um, and because, uh, you know, they're part of a white culture. Um, and so the culture in America is white, so they don't see, they don't think they have to see color. They're colorblind. And as my pastor says, you know, we, don't, we shouldn't be colorblind, but we should be colorblessed. And, um, and, uh, you know, I've, I've gone into some engagements on Facebook from people that I've grown up with that have been in my church, people that are older than me, and, um, and it's frustrating to see that they won't even entertain empathy. It's, they will just continue the party line. And I think there's a big thing. I think we should just pray against, you know, political ideals and... Uh, party line thinking, people are so stuck in their politics as opposed to being stuck in the gospel. I mean, we need to be gospel thinking instead of political thinking. And, uh, um, you know, I grew up in the, you know, Christian conservative home, and uh, I think, you know, I'm thankful for me that I have 
broaden my perspective. I've stepped back from the political ideas, and uh, um, not not only do you have you know the political leanings, but you you just have the cultural leanings. You know that you don't um, you don't have that perspective that I think um, we should be you know engaging in. And uh, I just think we should pray that you know you're talking about how people don't have you know friends that are are black and um, I've talked to people I'm like well do you have you talked to somebody about it have you talked to you know we have people around this office like I got into an engagement at work um, after after hours and I was like did you talk I mean we have black people here that you work with have you talked to them about that what what is their perspective and you just sitting here saying that they don't understand what what's going on you're saying that they're 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 not believing you know or they're not um, telling the truth or you're not even listening to their perspective and I think it's it's amazing to me that we have such a large group in America who, you know, we can say that I can I believe that black people are more American than most of white people in the United States. You know, um, we have you know ancestors that come like in the 1800s, 1900s, 20th century, um, but black culture has been here from the very beginning, and uh, and we don't even want to um, a lot of white people don't even want to. Um, look at it or, you know, think about it. And um, I think we should just pray that, you know, especially for white Christians, that they can um, broaden their perspectives and, uh, you know, have empathy and look actually at what Jesus said and what the gospel said. And um, where Gentiles and Jews came together um, at the beginning of the church, and um, which was unheard of in the Roman uh, Empire. and uh, I just think, uh, yeah, we should just pray for that. Thank you, man. <clears throat> Thank you, man. Thank you, man, for joining us today. I know a lot of you have to go, so what we're going to do is close out in prayer. And uh, our, before we go, I want to uh, present a challenge to all of you. A lot of you know that I'm married to a white woman, and I present the challenge to every, each and every one of you, but my wife loves God, so we try not We've, we've, we've tried to change the verbiage in our way of thinking in our home, and she really has opened up my eye to a lot of things. You know, I believe that division is of the enemy. If you can't see it my way and I can't see it your way and we stay divided, then that's not of God. I go back to what the pastor said earlier and what, and what Tony said earlier. It's all about love. God is love. And I do believe that love conquers all. So I challenge you, you know, to stop adding to the problem and to add to the solution by saying things like, you know, take the N-word out of your vocabulary. We don't even describe other people by their race. You know, a lot of people be like, you know, I was talking to that black man. Or I was talking to the white man. Why do we have to describe them like that? You know, are we adding to it when we say, oh, I think we just need to support black-owned business. We have to think about what we're saying. Why can't we just support the business because it's a good business? You know, I do have pride in my culture and in my people. But when I say things like that, it still creates division amongst my brothers who may not look like me. So I want to challenge each and every one of you to try to look at it from the other side of the fence. So we're going to close out in prayer. And that was those marks that you was talking about. So I just wanted to end, that com end this conversation, but continue the conversation going on with 
you know, on your jobs, with your families? What are you telling your children? What are you telling your brothers and sisters? What are you telling your coworkers? Keep the conversation going. For those that are on the phone call, thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us each and every Thursday, the last Thursday of the month. We continue to do it right here at the YMCA in the conference room. For more information, please log on to StolenLunches.com. We'll be going to Haiti soon. We have a missions trip that uh, we've already scheduled, and I want you to go on the website so you can get more information about that. Not only that, we do have a prayer call every Wednesday at 6 a.m. We want you to join us on that prayer call. And um, if you have any needs, you always can go to the website, and we have a link on the website. If you want to pray for somebody, uh, you know somebody that's going through something, you can just put your prayer request in right there. So we're going to close out.